For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, your favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, probably in the past three or four weeks, I have come across a number of books, a number of podcasts, a number of television shows that all talk about life in the post-Christian era. Are we really in a post-Christian era? And if so, exactly what does that mean and where is that taking us? Yeah, that's the hot question. Um, And it's been a hot question for probably going on close to a decade now, I would say, Mm, Um, if if, if not more than that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, part of it is post-Christian wants to follow up on the whole idea of post-modern. So, so, so the idea is, is not only just, not only baked into that question is the idea of have we, do we live in a culture where we've moved beyond Christianity? But part of that question is now are we in kind of a postmodern Christian era. So there's like mm-hmm. kind of a, there's kind of like a bracketed sort of parenthesized, you know, modern tucked in there. Are we in a postmodern Christian culture, which is a, a totally different question in some ways, but I think that's like kind of hinted at in that question as well. Yeah. The other thing it hints at too, for me, and we're, we're going to have to kind of, you know, I use the word unpack. It's so overused, but we'll have to unpack that a little bit. But also it's, it's one of the things maybe we'll talk about is, well, then what's displaced it? If we're post-Christian, all right, so that means after Christianity, then then what is our current setting, and what are some of its features, maybe? And does it have a name? Right. So this is a phrase that gets used a lot. As you said, you've seen several books. I mean, I think there's a, an entire you know set of bookshelves at Barnes & Noble dedicated to the idea of a post-Christian world. So um, you know, let's dive right in, talk a little bit about, okay, so for, first off, what does it mean to be post-Christian. Um, before we can determine if we are post-Christian, we got to determine what exactly this means. And, th- and there's a couple of different things that it, it could mean. So let's, uh, let, we can talk about kind of each of them one at a time. First off, if we're post-Christian, that might just simply means we've, we've moved beyond Christianity, um, not necessarily to something else, but the Christianity has died out um, or is dying. And I think there's, I think uh, of the alternatives of what post-Christian means, I think that's probably the one that's got probably the strongest evidence that we live in a culture where Christianity is diminishing kind of, um, at least in the West, so at least in Europe and North America, it's diminishing in size and it's diminishing in cultural clout. Um, yeah, maybe even South speak. America too. Yeah, yeah. yep. So I, I think that one, the, the the evidence is there. Although you know, Catholicism does grow every year. So I mean, whenever you see the the numbers of Catholics in the world, that number goes up year after year after year. But that's mainly because of Asia and Africa. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Which you know, um, as I, I, I hope I don't I don't know how uh, optimistic I am though, because as the faith in Europe has declined, there there certainly was a period in which the 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 uh, Christianity was growing in America. So like, oh yeah, okay. So there's kind of an offset. <clears throat> maybe that's maybe that's going to happen with Asia and Africa 
growing offsets the loss of faith. But but for us here, Mark, in America, we've got some very, very steep challenges right now. Right. When if, if, if we're concerned about the sheer number of practicing Catholics, if that's our if that's one one way to measure the say the health of the of the faith, uh, the vibrancy of the faith, then that that number is, is definitely shrinking. Right. And uh, when I first came into the church, um, we won't talk about how many years ago that was, but that was a, a long, long while ago. Um, Pope Pius the Twelfth was reigning. <laughs> okay. Not, not, <laughs> not quite that long. Ago. Okay. Okay. No, it was Peter. <laughs> oh yeah, Saint Peter. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, the uh, the parish I went to had an Irish priest, and um, he ah oh, God loved the Irish. Yes. God loved the Irish, and he explained to me that the reason he was over there was that his bishop had determined that America was a mission field for the Irish Church, oh. and so they were sending Irish they were sending Irish pri- priests over to mm-hmm. proselytize and evangelize the you know wayward Americans where the the, the faith was being lost, etc. Um, you know. As far as Ireland goes, that's unfortunately, you know, for Ireland, that's changed as well. The course well. is completely reversed. Exactly. So the, the, the mm-hmm. you know, the, the practice of Catholicism has diminished tremendously in Ireland. But I think you see that same phenomena with um, Indian priests and Nigerian priests and oh, yeah. priests basically from Africa and Asia where the faith is growing and robust and vibrant. We're seeing more and more priests coming over here to America. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it, it may not be conscious, but I think there's at least an unconscious effort to try to re-evangelize the West. Yeah. In- interesting. Just a side note on, uh, for the Easter vigil, um, my wife and I attended with some friends. We had a friend that was coming into the church <clears throat> this East, past Easter vigil, we were at St. Michael's in uh, Arch Indy, and there were two priests celebrating um, Mass, and one was from Nigeria and one was from Zaire. So just, I was really struck by the universality, right, the, the Catholic um, nature of, of the celebration. Um, but but yeah, there's, there, there's all kinds of things going on there. But let, let's go back to, what do you, I'll ask you this, Mark. What do you so if we're moving into if the question is are we in a post-Christian um, society post-Christian culture post-Christian nation <clears throat> what would be what are some of the features of Christi- a Christian nation Christian culture that maybe um, seem to have waned faded or maybe uh, disappeared or diminished. Well, I I think when you're looking at a religion, and I think that's also kind of a question, too, of what's the difference between the beliefs of Christianity and sort of the, I guess, sort of cultural understanding and, and sort of cultural ideas that the religion carries that, that penetrate and permeate throughout a culture to make that culture of that religion versus the... the um, the practice and carrying on of that religion as a religion. So I think those mm-hmm. are two different questions. And, and I think that, that I think if you look at it, that's kind of why you kind of almost get two different answers, because I think if you look at sort of the set of thoughts, set of ideas, sort of cultural understanding of Christianity, Christianity still very much does permeate. And in a lot of ways kind of does dominate our culture. Um, but as far as the actual practice and as far as the actual faithfulness of the culture, that has, has diminished. So I think the, the biggest part of that is uh, the family life. Um, you know, that the, mm. in, 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 first in Europe and, and now in America, the idea that 
children are raised within a two-parent family where marriage is understood between a man and a woman. and, and That's exclusive and permanent. And that's exclusive and permanent and is directed towards bearing children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that idea and, and sort of that way of life, and I think more importantly that way of life, um, is becoming less and less. Um, you know, you, you see different statistics on that. Um, you know, the, the one statistic that you keep hearing over and over again is something like 40 to 45% of children are born into single parent households now. Um, on the flip side of that, if you look at the number of children being raised in single parent households, it's like 20% or less. So, um, you know, it depends on which statistics you look at to get the picture of, of what's going on. But I think either way, you can definitely say family life has diminished since the middle of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. I, I, when I uh, teach <clears throat> at uh, the undergraduate level, I, it's the vast majority these days, the vast majority of my students are not, have not been raised by... Um, their biological parents, uh, mom and dad, it married. They, they don't have that. And so I think without the experience of uh, traditional family life, it becomes it's more difficult to see the goods that it produces. So I think I think you're right. So the 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 loss of the uh, the loss or change in the nuclear family, that's a big part. In fact, I think it's Mary Eberstadt, if I remember correctly, wrote the book like what was it called like how we lost right. how the west lost religion or something like that right was i was the title just going i was just going to bring that up because i think her theory is is very interesting i think there's a lot to it that when we think of a society going through a process of secularization we kind of think of the idea that well you know people begin to lose faith they they you know they they stop going to mass um, religion becomes less and less important in their lives. And then after that, you know, the next generation takes marriage less seriously. So there's a process of secularization and then the marriage and, and children and all of that become less important because people are less religious. And she points out that, no, the, the process is actually the opposite, that, um, Families are the carriers. Families are where religion is preserved. Families are where religion is transmitted and transmitted. And so as family life diminishes, the transmittal of the faith from one generation to the next dies down. So it's not that people become more secular and then family life becomes less important. It's the opposite. Family life becomes less important and then society becomes more secular because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's yeah, that's a good that's a good read on. I think her premise. Her, her hypothesis. And I think there's a lot there. It explains a lot. Maybe it doesn't explain everything, but boy, it, it sure, that sure explains a lot. Yeah. And, you know, tied into that is the um, drop in birth rates. And, um, and, oh, and, yeah. and once again, you know, it's a hard question to answer <clears throat> as to which influences which does the, does, does the smaller number of children lead to more secularization or is more secularization leading to people having fewer and fewer children, um, as, as time goes on. But either way, I think, I think you can see the, the number of children being a, I I guess, a, a stepping back from looking into the future and having hope into the future that goes along with the practice of our faith. I mean, you don't have strong Christianity if you don't have hope in what's coming and you don't have hope for your children. So um, I think as people become more pessimistic about the future and what the future holds, people have a tendency to become less and less religious. 
I think, yeah, I think there's, uh, I know we're coming up here on a break here pretty soon, but I, I do think birth rates is, is one of the prominent features of, let's call it a post-Christian society, post-Christian culture. And those are, those are some of the reasons, the loss of, loss of hope. The, uh, there's a major, uh, several major news outlets are reporting on the birth rate for 2020, which is the lowest since the 1930s. And the, and the birth rate is, is reported that I saw reported at 1.64. So that basically means for every two adults, male and female, are having 1.64 children. Now, the replacement rate generally is somewhere around 2.1, 2.2, just to maintain population. So with that, I know we've got to take a break. So when we get back from the break... Let's pick up, uh, again, with birth rates and maybe some of its implications. And you're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. We'll be back with more right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, What's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Tim O'Donnell with Mark Tuttle, trustee sidekick and producer Kent Blanford. And uh, we're talking about, uh, or trying to uh, answer a question, are we in a post-Christian culture, post-Christian society? And uh, where we left off before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about birth rates. And birth rates um, have are, are followed by sociologists and others. And they're very, very important because they're a signal uh, to a lot of things, uh, prosperity, um, uh, but also uh, perhaps cultural demise. So the latest report for 2020, and obviously that was the year the pandemic struck, um, is uh, 1.64, which is the lowest since the 1930s. So one might have anticipated with more more time at home and uh, that uh, maybe birth rates would have would have jumped, but they didn't. They've continued to fall, and they're falling faster than ever. What do you think some of the implications are, Mark, of a of a low birth rate? You know, as you mentioned, prosperity is one of the uh, one of the things that almost always goes along with with diminishing um, fertility. Um, and that historical trend, I mean, it's been that way forever. I mean, there, there, that, that's a cross-cultural, cross-ages type of thing of when a society becomes large and wealthy and, prosper- and prosperous, the birth rates go down. And, um, and so th- there's sort of a natural tendency to that, 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 you know, I don't necessarily know 
that it, it necessarily means cultural demise or decadence or or you know that those necessarily go hand in hand but um but I'll t I'll, there there obviously are, are cultural implications with it and um yeah so it, i i guess i it, it's hard to read too much into causality there um there's certainly correlation but it, but you know the causality is a little a little harder to say one of the interesting implications i think of it though is is diversity so um birth order has a lot to do with personality and birth order has a lot to do, I think, with the role a person plays within society. So, um, and, and, and for instance, in the Middle Ages, you always kind of had the top two sons in a family. One of them was reserved for um, in the, the upper classes. One of them was kind of set aside to continue the family business of owning land, gaining more land, um, you know, continuing the, 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 the family's prestige and, and all of that. And the second one headed into the clergy, oftentimes to do the same thing, to, to increase the, the, the family's clout in, in the Middle Ages. But, um, but nonetheless, you, you had a, a, an oldest son and then you had a younger son and that younger son was often a middle kid right? He, he wasn't the youngest because they had more than, than two kids. So when you want go into a society where you're only, most families only have one child, maybe two children, you're looking at a society that is full of oldest children, only children or youngest children. And so you lose the diversity, I think in birth order there of having a good mix and, and anybody that's been in a family of, of, three or more kids knows that, that that birth order does to, to a good extent kind of paint your personality, your traits and, and your role to a good extent within society. And so I think, I think there's a, there's a diminishment for society because of, of low, lower birth rates in that sense. But I think that definitely affects the church as well. How so? How so? You know, I think, I think an oldest child is is probably a little bit more likely to go out into the business world, as, and and I think the parents raising that child are much more focused on raising that child to be successful out in the world, and the younger children probably are a little bit more prone to go into the priesthood or into religious life or into to those. And so I think you know when you're looking at a, a culture where we've got a vocations crisis, I think the birth order plays into it. Well, you know, and I think one of the things that I, I've noticed is the fact that, um, you know, there's the classic, you know, when you see a, a mother and father walk into a, into any place and they've got five, six, seven kids, it's automatically, oh, Catholic family. Because, you know, Catholic families were always big families. Right. And, you know, you don't really see that as much anymore. And, you know, in, in my parish... I've noticed a lot of young families with, you know, four, five, six kids. I've seen some seven and eight kids now. And it all comes back to a, an old saying that I remember from years ago. If in your church you hear no crying, chances are your parish is dying. Ooh, good saying. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds and, you know, right. So, you know, we're talking about the birth rate, you know, overall. But within the church, I, I, I'm... I think I'm starting to see a shift back to those large Catholic families that weren't there for a decade or two. Yeah, you know, the fertility rate, when you look at the fertility rate and you say it's, you know, 1.6, um, that could be seven families having no kids 
and three families having four kids. Right. You know, I mean, right. so, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily a, everybody is having 1.6 kids type of thing. Right. Yeah. The 0.6 kid is a hard one for any couple to pull off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think I, I was listening to a major um, radio station that was not an EWTN affiliate. It was more secular. And uh, they were you. Right, right, right. Well, I want to hear what's going on. Uh, I want to hear all sides. Um, and they were talking about uh, the, the falling birth rate. Um, and one of the things that occurred to me as I was listening to this conversation that was going on between the, per- the host of the radio program and then the journalist who had investigated and was reporting out on what she had found, um, one, of, one of the things that really struck me was that for all the explanations offered by the journalist for the uh, decline, declining birth rate, all of, all of the explanations offered, I think, fell under the category of economics. And what struck, so the reasons like uh, raising kids are expensive, um, raising kids uh, could involve me stepping out of the workforce, uh, raising kids um, had causes, you know, to because of the time and effort that go into it, I, I uh, start having, people start having children much later in life because they want to get their uh, careers established. Um, and all of these were, uh, and there were some others, but they were all basically economic. And, and here, the reason why I bring that up is twofold. One, I don't think economics fully explains everything, but that was really the only category offered. But second, and I think even more insidious, is behind, behind the curtain there is Karl Marx. Because Karl Marx, his dialectic reduces all of history to a theory of oppressors oppressed in an atheistic material conceptual framework driven by economics. So when ec- economics really basically explains everything, so I think you see a kind of a cultural Marxism right there that went completely unchallenged. I actually think uh, they didn't even know that that's the, the the well from which they were drinking. Right, and I think I think uh, you know declining deca- declining families and declining family life are definitely an indication that in our culture Christianity is is probably being practiced. numerically less and then probably also you know even even those families where there there's some christianity i think there's more families where it's the the, you could say it's kind of nominally christian um i I think you're right i think the the family size is one but the materialism i think is another huge indication of that that we we have moved to a culture where we understand things more in materialistic terms and um and you know on the one hand you you say it's a marxist thing but you know i think listening to solzhenitsyn and other people who've come um there's there's a there's a Part of that that, that that goes along with capitalism as well, um, you know that as as a, a culture becomes becomes more wealthy, um, the emphasis of the culture becomes more on on growing wealth, and um, so with that you you have a, a, a 
a more materialistic culture and therefore all the explanations become more and more economic. They become more and more based on what is this going to be doing to the economy? What is this going to be doing to my pocketbook? And how is this going to either keep or help me get ahead or fall behind economically from my peers. And, you know, so I, I'm, it's materialism. I'm not sure it's all completely Marxism. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's all Marxism, but I do think Marxism, um, Marx's, Marx's thought completely permeates at least this conversation I, w- I was listening to because that's all that was offered. Right. <laughs> and I think there is a, I think there is a strong, a strong push in our culture for people to see the world increasingly in materialistic terms. So, um, and to find, find your, you know, kind of find your value within society of what you can offer to society as a economic, you know, cog in the machine. And, um, you know, honestly, that's on both sides of that Marxist versus capitalist dialogue there. Um, you know, I think both of them become increasingly materialistic as time goes on and people see their lives and see values more and more in economic terms. Well, there's certain, yeah, that's certainly forefront. Um, another thing though, that, that comes up, I think when I, when I, when I'm thinking about features of a, of a post-Christian, society is um, Christianity, I think, can be summed up with th- three main, kind of main categories for us to think about, which is sort of cult, creed, and code. So cult being a, uh, not, like a not like a Jim Jones type cult that you found, but a, uh, a cultus where you have a uh, system of worship and rituals and traditions. And then it also has a creed, which is a set of beliefs. So here we can think of the Nicene Creed. Um, and then and then lastly, a code, that there's a moral code, that there's a specific way that one ought to live one's life. And so when I put together the cult, the creed, and the code, as Christianity fades from the public square, I don't think those three categories go away. I think those—so I don't think there's a vacuum that's emerging— I simply think there's a displacement, and what, and I think this is where Joshua Mitchell was going when we had him on the show about his new book, American Awakening, that the cult, the creed, and the code, those categories are, uh, are there, they, they're permanent, but their content that's what's changing. Right. And and that comes to the second way to answer that question of whether we're in a post-Christian society or not. On the one hand, you can look at it and say, is the practice of Christianity diminishing? Is is the, the, the actual number of people that are actively Christian and, and practicing the faith, is that declining? But then the flip side of that is the culture that we live in are the ideas and beliefs and practices are they informed and kind of permeated by christianity or is that changing and that's kind of a second question so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back let's take up that second answer to the to the question are we living in a post post post-christian society and we'll take that question up right after this break you're listening to the catholic cave on catholic radio indy No fake news here, just the good news of Jesus Christ as shared through his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic Radio Indy. Boy, it sure is dark in here. I guess that's why they call it the Catholic Cave. Each Saturday at 9 and Sunday at 11 a.m., 
the Catholic cavemen, Timothy O'Donnell, Mark Tuttle, and Kent Blanford, as well as lots of interesting guests, shine a Catholic light on just about everything, from ancient Greek philosophers to doctors of the church to today's movies and TV. Nothing escapes their ever-inquisitive eyes. It's a fun, informative program. If you own or manage a business, you can help keep programming like the Catholic Cave on the air by becoming an underwriter. It's not costly, and you'll be helping to keep quality Catholic programming on the air. To find out more, call Val at 317-870-8400. 317-870-8400. She can tell you all about it. Or email Valerie at catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Tim O'Donnell, Kent Blanford. And Kent started us off with the question of, are we living in a post-Christian society? There is a cottage industry out there. If you go to Barnes & Noble, I mean, you will literally see racks and racks of books trying to diagnose the state of our culture right now, um, and in particular with regards to Christianity. Um, you know, how strong an influence is Christianity on our culture right now? Are we a Christian society still? Is America a Christian country? Was was America ever a Christian country? I think there's a you know a lot of things that are questioning. You know, were our roots really really that Christian in the past as much as we think? So, um, we are talking about the the kind of end side of that question of are we right now living in a post Christian society? And we kind of talked about how there's two ways to answer that question. You can look at, is Christianity still being widely practiced in our society? And then the other way to look at it is, is Christianity still influential within our society? Are the the major ideas, major beliefs, major, I guess you could say, morality, public morality, is that informed by Christianity or has that shifted to where it's informed by something else? And I think that's a very active debate. I mean, I can see kind of, I can see indications and answers on both sides of that question. How about you, Tim? Yeah, no, I've, I've kind of arrived at an answer for, for myself. And and the re, and here here's where I, uh, here's where I'm drawing from. And, and I would say, no, there has there there's a there's a profound shift, a profound loss of, of Christianity, not just in its practice, its influence, and how people even conceive the world. And 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 where I'm drawing that from is uh, someone else we talked to not that long ago, Carl Truman, and his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He's 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 making the case, drawing from people you and I really respect, uh, the Canadian Catholic philosopher. Uh, Charles Taylor, uh, Philip Reef, who I'd never really encountered before. I don't know why, but man, that that guy had a kind of uh, sociologist. He had a kind of genius um, based around from. And then someone we've talked about from time to time, Alistair McIntyre. And and here's the shift that 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 Truman puts his finger on, and I think he's I think he's right. And um, which is that the shift is has been one from he calls it uh, mimesis to one of poesis. And mimesis is this idea that there's an objective, uh, there's objective reality, there's a world of the sacred, there's a sacred order. We can see it historically with um, uh, with a, a sacred with the small s. And so you can think of like the Greek pantheon of gods, um, the Roman pantheon of gods. But there was a transcendent order that then moves into another phase in which you, we would have uh, uh, the rise of Christianity 
So a sacred order, capital S, capital O, again, transcended. But now we have divine revelation. We have the person, the divine person of Jesus Christ, his definitive life, death, and resurrection. And that that now we've moved into the world of the the, the next phase that we're, we've entered is that of the imminent, where the sacred order has is, is fading, and uh, it's not completely gone, but it's fading, and it's being replaced by a world of poesis, and poesis is the inner self, and the terms that are raised are uh, by like a Charles Taylor is expressive in the expressive individual, or as Philip Reef would say, um, it's a, his his one of his seminal books is called the Triumph of the Therapeutic, so psychological man. Right. So now uh, the the supreme good is the individual, each individual person's psychological well-being and happiness is is the highest good and so it's a godless world it's a world without redemption it's a world without um it's also a world without forgiveness and that that kind of ties into joshua mitchell therefore what we're left with and if it feels like the culture is increasingly unstable and chaotic which i think it is it's because now we don't have a transcendent order of things people's understanding Sort of, we'll call it a worldview. Charles Taylor calls it the social imaginary. Is 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 completely different now in this world of poesis, in which my I need to pursue and I need to use things like politics as a way in which to for me to secure my own personal psychological happiness and well-being. Me and I I create. The world I create, the world in which I live in. It's not a world of discovery, of me aligning myself with, say, God's purpose and meaning and significance. That's already in the world and reality, but rather I create my own reality. And you find it. I'll, just as a Catholic, I think we're all interested in this: Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Right? You find it right in there, where each person in that in that decision, right, by Justice Kennedy. He summed it up, 1992. That's that's a that's a flag in the culture of how things were already shifting in that direction. But that's how I see it. Right, and and the 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 question underlying all of that, and and I think you're, I mean, I think that shift has has definitely taken place. I don't know that there's that. I, I guess the the two question is. What number of people have made that shift? Is it a small? Is it a small kind of powerful elite that are that are shifting the culture? And when you drop back from that, you still find a, a large number of the populace that, that kind of recognizes some semblance of a sacred order. That'd be one question with that. And then the second question is how parasitic is that view? In other words, can you even have that view if you do not have at least a background understanding of the sacred that that this is more of a, a an act of rebellion against? And a, and, a, and a reaction against rather than something that would, would exist and, and be able to sustain itself and be there on its own, on its own terms, without a Christian sacred understanding that, that's kind of always in the background, always there, always sort of the baseline of, of our culture. And then, yeah, our culture is rebelling against that, but that doesn't make it post-Christian. That just kind of makes it almost anti-Christian. Yeah, well, Philip Reef calls it an anti-culture. I think that's right. Um, Charles Taylor, um, he call, he says we're in a secular age. So I would say the post-Christian um, world is our nation, society, culture is a secular culture. Now, Joshua Mitchell is going to say there's a really kind of a distorted, perverted perversion of Christianity at work because you can't really shed our desires for the transcendent. 
a lot of merit in that, and I, I, I see that. But but I think I think when you and maybe it's and again it's it's not like one or the other. It's not like it's it's black or it's white. There's these two worlds, these two phases. I would say that that Reef is talking about are overlapping and coinciding. It's 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 almost like as 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 one as the as the sunset of Christianity seems to be happening, we simultaneously have a rising a rising uh, dawn of this secular age, and they're kind of both happening at the same time. And I'm not saying it's it's a it's unavoidable because but but here's the here's what I think a lot of people here's where here's where I think a lot of Americans are. I'll put it that way. A lot of Americans see God as um, really an unnecessary hypothesis. That's all. They they. It's not that it's untrue. It's it's not that that God's existence. It's just I don't really need. It's not really important. It's not a, that question itself no longer holds much significance for me. You know, I don't know because if you if you look at the polls that ask what religion do you follow. You have a rising number of nuns, right? You have a rising huge number of people that say none. But if you turn that question around and ask, do you believe in God? Um, that number stayed rel- has stayed relatively stable. And, you know, I think it goes yeah, back— Yeah, but, but, but Philip Reef has replaced it, though. That's the, the God they believe in is not the Christian God. But but it is a God, and I think the idea that— Well, no it, more so than the fl- flying spaghetti monster, but, I, but, I think. But when you say when you say secular, when, <laughs> yeah. you, when you say secular, the, that, that implies sort of an absence of religion. And I really do think that the idea of a nation of heretics— um, you know, that um, the New York Times columnist, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right Ross now. Ross Duthat. Ross Duthat, correct. Yeah. You know, that, I heard that, him speak not that long ago, actually, that, you know, when, at a symposium. He was really good. That, that uh, as, as Philip Reef would say, in a lot of ways, we are more spiritual or as spiritual as we've been in the past, but the spirituality has shifted. It's no longer Christian spirituality, but it is spirituality. It is a different spirituality. And so rather than there being kind of a, a, an absence and lapse in religion, religion Religiosity has continued, but it's a different type of religiosity. It's a religiosity that does, you know, base itself around kind of a more therapeutic understanding of God, a therapeutic understanding of happiness. Um, you know, that, that instead of happiness being beatitude and instead of our search for happiness being a search for holiness, now it's a search for fulfillment and, and personal satisfaction. And so, um, but it's still a, a, a search, it's still a search for the transcendent. And um, because of that, you know, we, we live in an age where, yeah, we're less Christian, but in a lot of ways, we're just as religious as we've ever been. Yeah. So there, that's a good point to point out, like terms and how we're using terms. Yeah, I, I kind of think I, I don't have this part completely settled in my own mind as to um, how these pieces fit together. But I would say for the for the current setting. The two most important—I brought it up a couple of times—but Carl Truman's book, *Rise*, *The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self*, coupled with Joshua Mitchell's book, *The Great Awakening*. You, when you put those two pieces together, you get a you get a set of understandings that are very, very powerful and insightful as to what's going on. Because you do have these kind of—and and this is this is, I think, where like a Jordan. Peterson is helpful because he talks about in like a cultural Marxism where you have postmodernity that has certain features that are completely antithetical to Marxism, yet you have the dichotomy of the two of them sort of inhabiting the same shared space of our our, our common uh, understanding of things, our, our worldview. So they sh- they're, they're really 
incompatible. Yet the human we're we're complex enough that there's we're living in, and this is I think what gives rise to the the tension, the distress, the chaos, the disorder, and that's what. So I, I agree with you. It's 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 both. Even though it would seem that both can't happen at the same time, I think it is happening at the same time. Well, and I think the question too comes: What's the relationship between those two? Because on the one hand, you can have two kind of competing moral views and two competing religious views, where one is in the process of displacing the other, and that's kind of the picture that that Carl Truman lays out, um, that that, that um, Taylor lays out, is that we have a new kind of competing religion. I think they both paint. Um, the, the, this new movement as a, a new religion that's kind of moving to displace Christianity. When you mentioned Jordan Peterson, I think he would see it a little bit more in terms of a rebellion against Christianity and that, that you have sort of the, the Christian, he, he likes to use the, uh, the, the Eastern um, images and Eastern language, but you mm-hmm. have a yin and a yang going on and you have a pushback against the predominant um, cultural um, that are, that are still Christian predominant Christian cultural understandings and you have a pushback against that, but it's not a displacement. And so just kind of figuring out that relationship, you know, I think we can kind of jump into that in our next segment. And we'll be back with more on the Catholic cave right after this. You're listening to the Catholic cave on Catholic radio. Indy, you know, us as Catholic radio, Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a website, Catholic radio, with access to great Catholic resources, including podcasts of all our local programming, podcasts that have been downloaded from all 50 states and over 40 countries on six continents. Yes, we are Catholic Radio Indy, but thanks to your support, we're taking the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Tim O'Donnell and Kent Blanford, and we are answering the question and i think we've answered it you know are we in try- a- i'm trying to answer yeah it. i'm not in- sure i've done a well, good job well are we in a post-christian world and and i think you know when when we look at there's two ways to answer the question is christianity decreasingly being practiced and I think we kind of looked at that and said, yeah, when you look at the indicators, I think there are fewer and fewer, unfortunately, people actually practicing their Christian faith. So I think to that extent, oh, yeah, it's the practice lower. of Christianity is... Well, is look at the reception of the sacraments. I mean, I know we talk about, you know, mass attendance is one that gets talked about, but just if you look at like the number of marriages, baptisms, all that stuff is 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 declining uh, right. rapidly but then also you look at the, the the central core beliefs of a society you know are are the beliefs of our culture still 
Christian. And I, you know, last segment, I think we, we touched on, you know, when you look at it, obviously something has shifted. Um, something has changed to where at, 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 at most, I think you can say we live in a, as, as Ross Duthit would say, a nation of heretics where we've moved from, I think his book's called Bad Religion. Right. If right, I remember it right. right. Yeah. But but you know, nonetheless, you know, we we Decadent moved from, Society's another one too. We kind of diagnose how we got there. Right. But we've moved from uh we've moved from a, a practice of Christianity to a practice of some other spiritual religion. Um, you know, Philip Reef and Christopher Lash and um and as you um you know more recently said, Carl Truman and others have kind of pointed to a uh, a more psychological um worship of the self. Um, you know, we, we, we have a, a cultural yeah. narcissism as Christopher Lash would say. Yeah. And, um, you know, sort of the yeah, idea of therapeutic that's... man. And, and there's a certain, there's a certain set of religious practices that go along with that. Right. I mean, you, you have the, you have the whole, you, you, you've got the whole idea of sort of affirmations. You've got the whole cottage industry of self-improvement books and working to improve yourself. Um, you've got, you've got a, a kind of a canon that goes along with all of that. Oh, sure. And, and then, you know, if you really buy into it, you either have a therapist or you have a coach. You, you have a, a, um, a, a coach that helps you along in your, your development, et cetera. I'm going to move so, you. I'm going to move that adva- and add one more to that. And that is you have social media. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That, that's the big place. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, you know, I don't want to throw social media as a, a, a totally. Um, you know, psychological, um, exercise, because obviously there's a a tremendous amount of Christianity that's utilizing social media and, and, you know, it's not all secular. No, but it's a marketplace for it. It's It's a a huge place. It's a huge place for it. Right. But, um, but then on, on the flip side of that, the, the question is how much of all of that depends on Christianity. How much of all of that depends on certain basic underlying moral assumptions that are Christian and are not going anywhere. And as a matter of fact, have, have probably come more into prominence in discussion rather than less. And uh, by things like that, I mean, you know, a a certain understanding of justice. Um, You know, the, the idea of justice being, the weakest being taken care of by the strongest, um, that, the, the, that those who are less powerful need to be, um, to a certain extent, you know, held up and, and watched out for and protected by society. Um, you know, that, that's moved into the social justice movement, but that is a uniquely Christian idea. You do not find that in the pagan world. You do not even find that, I think, in, in kind of a, a, a glorified secular, um, you know, uh, psychological man type of thing. I mean, yeah, but I, I, that gonna, psychological man has its roots in Nietzsche and Nietzsche was, Nietzsche was talking about the Ubermensch and he talked about that whole idea of charity being, being almost like counter, counter human. Um, so the whole idea of this heightened need for, for justice, this heightened need for, for looking out for, for the weakened society, etc. that's Christianity. And, um, and it and, is, but that's going away. And it's being, that's, that's what I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue that that's going away. And here's how it's going away. It's being, it's being, it's being transformed. The weak and the vulnerable, you're right, that you identify is a category. That category is being transformed into uh, what we would call, I think what I think would arguably be identity politics. And by identity politics, I mean that people have these fragmented identities, different types of ways of thinking about each, each one of us. 
that's race, ethnicity, religion, gender, gender preference, gender expression, on and on and on. And what's happening is, yes, there is a what what remains in in what you're diagnosing from the from the Christian worldview is yeah there's there are oppressed groups um, that we not, that Christians call the weak and the vulnerable those are going those are being transformed and transferred into other oppressed groups that uses the lexicon drawn from identity politics. That's the distortion that, like a Joshua Mitchell points out. So it's not that the Christianity, so the Christian under the Christian framework, I guess, is there. It's just the categories are being emptied and replaced with other things. But that, the underlying, but the underlying morality is still Christian, and and so the underlying. You'd mor- have to define morality because I don't see that. Well, but the idea that the the idea that the oppressed. That the, the oppressed population needs to be protected, and that society has a duty to protect the oppressed. Well, now, the from language the oppressors. of the oppressor is not Christian. That's Marx. No, no, it, 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 it's a it's a root Christian, um, and, and Marx borrowed it from Christianity. True, but um, you you look at the pagan world. The pagan world says no. The the right order, the just order of the world, is the strong do what they want, and the weak suffer what they have to right and, right and, that's and, roman know, that, that that's 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 lucidities <laughs> right. i mean that that's greek right. that, that that's right. the greco-roman world and right. that was also the you know that was also the that's German- also nietzsche in that was also the extent. that's also the germanic pagan world which <laughs> right. is i was getting to yeah, yeah. That, that, that that's nietzsche and so you know nietzsche's attempt to replace that um, in a lot of ways failed. And I think you got to go back to Gerard that now what you have is a pushback against Christianity by trying to kind of twist and turn Christian morality against itself. So you have a, you have a world rebelling against Christianity by saying we don't need Christianity because we're more Christian than the Christians. We're the compassionate ones. We're the ones that, that can serve the poor. We're the ones that can protect the oppressed. We can do all these things better than the church can, better than the Christian can. So we don't need the church anymore because we can be more moral than you moral Christians. But underlying that is a firm belief and a still strong cultural tendency to what I would say all of those sort of fundamental principles of Christian morality actually are. Well, there we disagree. I don't see it that way. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I will, uh, (coughs) pardon me, offer a little bit of hope through a quick story because I know some of this could be kind of bleak. So we we have uh, good, good good friends, my wife and I, um, are in town, and we we had the opportunity to hang out with them a couple of times. And what made this makes this couple really intriguing is um, he's an American from from here in Indiana who got married during the pandemic to uh, a woman who is Irish. She's from Ireland, but lives in London. And he got trapped overseas when the pandemic hit, so he's really not been back in the U.S. for a year. And they got married, and so it's kind of her first our first time to meet her and um, and uh, get to know her a little bit and some of her observations. So she's been in the States, let's say a week or 10 days or two weeks, something like that, and, and traveled all around in the, in Indiana, um, going to different, going to mass every day, blah, blah, blah. She was, so I, I tend to be pessimistic looking at the statistics and stuff. And she goes, now she lives in London and she's a very devout Catholic. They both are. And she said, you have no idea how fortunate you are as American Catholics. She goes, everywhere I went, kind of what you were talking about earlier, Kent, everywhere I went, there were um, 
children at mass, young couple, young families at mass. Your priests are uh, preaching the truth. They're not shying away from the tough issues. Um, she goes, I couldn't believe it. I went to a I went to a parish here, and they actually had a memorial to the unborn killed by abortion. She goes, in London, that would be a hate crime, and the priest would be arrested, and it would be vandalized within 30 minutes. And so that gave me a lot of hope, you know. Yeah. So it's, and so, yeah, because I kind of, I tend to think that, yeah, we've got a lot of, the, Ameri- the, the American Catholic Church and just Christianity America has a lot of problems, and I think it, it still does. But just hearing someone who's living out uh, devout Catholic faith in London and has enormous, she goes, we, we did a pro-life march. Last thing I'll mention is she goes, yeah, we were doing the pro-life march over there, kind of similar to ours, on, you know, something along those lines. They, she goes, we are surrounded by witches, by people who are uh, actual witches, who, who that's what they, that's. That's who they are. I were, I and they come out. I thought you were trying to encourage us here, Tim. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I'm just saying they have a lot. I, I've i only run into one person at all the pro-life events I've been to who claimed to be an abortion witch. And I had that on video, by the way, too. So, but they, but, but I mean, the level of resistance, the fierce opposition, uh, including state power, uh, just sounded really, really horrendous. Right. And so I, there is a lot to be grateful for. And I think the other note of hope is what we kind of started off our discussion with is when we're talking about secularization and we're talking about um, a post-Christian world, we really are talking about the Western world. Um, we're, we're talking about mm-hmm. North America and Europe. When you look at Africa and you look at Asia, um, Christianity is, is growing, you know, and the, the practice of the faith is, is flourishing and, and vibrant in a lot of those countries. But there's a lot of martyrdom that goes with and that. There's too. a lot of martyrdom that goes with that. Right. And, um, but you know, martyrdom is the, 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 the seed of the faith for the future. Right. So, um, you, you've got a, you do have a growth, I think of, of the church worldwide, but it's shifting, and uh, you know it, it, it's okay to. But sit I don't there want and say, it to shift. I want it to grow everywhere, Mark. I want it to grow everywhere too. And I was just going to say, you know, I mean, that's great for the church, but that's bad for America, you know, and, it, yeah. and it's bad for Western culture and it's bad for Western civilization, and um, you know, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can continue to pray and continue to work and uh, continue to turn the tide, and I think I think your friend is exactly right. I think there are signs of hope. Um, you know, I, I do think I do think there is a, a nucleus of the church that is strong the and remnant. vibrant. The remnant. Well, not even the remnant, but I mean the church. I mean the church is here; it's present. Um, Christ's promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right on. And, and um, you know, I think we can have hope in that, and we can continue to pray, and God will continue to guide us um, well into this kind of post-Christian era that we're living in. Well, you know, they say that uh, if you want a plant to grow, sometimes you have to prune it back. And sometimes that means it's going to shrink. It's going to be a lot smaller. It's not going to look as robust as it was, but it's going to come back. And I think in a long-term way, that's what we're going to see with Christianity in the world and in the West. So there is hope, and we're going to keep spreading that here on Catholic Radio Indy. I'm Kent Blanford for Mark Tuttle. For Timothy O'Donnell, thanks for listening. We'll be back with more of the Catholic Cave in the future. Until then, stay holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. 
Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.